As we deepen our knowledge of God, so we deepen our ability to love God, to trust him, and to obey him to a greater extent. One of the responsibilities that we've been given as pastors here at Community Baptist Church is to equip the saints, the membership, for the work of the ministry. One of the ways that we're going to accomplish this through this podcast is to take an aspect of the Sunday morning sermon that perhaps we didn't have enough time to fully develop in the sermon and expound on it just a little bit more on this podcast. This past Sunday, I preached on John chapter 3, the first three verses. And in John chapter 3 and verse 3, Jesus makes a radical statement to Nicodemus. Jesus says, unless you've been born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is is uh, watching Jesus's ministry. He's seeing all of these signs that Jesus is uh, is performing in order to authenticate his claims uh, that he's sent from God in order to prove that he's Messiah, fulfill a prophecy from the Old Testament. But uh, Nicodemus has been uh, distracted by these physical signs, and and Jesus says, "Listen, unless you have been rebirthed, unless you've been born from above, you can't see." And then he uses the phrase, "the kingdom." Of God, And what we're going to talk about in this short episode is what exactly is the kingdom of God? When we see that phrase repeated uh, in the Gospels and referenced a little bit in the epistles, how should we approach this concept? Because I think there's some misconceptions about what the kingdom of God is. And, uh, and because of that, we don't fully understand Jesus's statement. The phrase, the kingdom of God, is used over 120 times in the gospel. Primarily, it's, or I shouldn't say primarily, but uh, it's used as a major focus in Matthew's gospel. I think over 50 times Matthew references the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. There are kingdom parables. And, uh, and so much in Matthew's gospel, as Matthew focuses on Jesus as the king, then the kingdom of God takes a prominent place in Matthew's gospel. What is the kingdom of God? Well, when you see the phrase in the New Testament, the kingdom of God, what should come to your mind first and foremost is the idea that God is exerting his rule, his control, we would call it his sovereignty over all things. It's important to recognize that the kingdom of God isn't necessarily referring to uh, a place or even really a, a people per se. But rather, when you see Jesus saying things like, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, or the kingdom of God, as he says in Luke chapter 17, is here uh, in, in the midst of you. He's not talking about any physical aspect of God's kingdom there. He's not referring to a people. He's not referring to a place. He is referring to in this concept of the kingdom of God, the present reality that God is working out his control. God is working out his rule, his sovereignty over all all things. John Piper uh, would clarify this by saying that when we think of the kingdom of God, we should think of God's reign, not God's realm. In other words, we think of God working out the actions of his sovereignty around us rather than thinking of a specific place. When we think of kingdom, maybe you think of a, uh, a city that has walls or a castle or something to that effect. But when we see the kingdom of God referenced in the gospels, the present kingdom of God then what's being referred to is God's rule and God's reign. We see this evidenced in the Old Testament as well. I mean, Psalm 93 is a psalm um, that I've preached in the last several months. 
It's called an enthronement psalm, which refers to God's sovereignty being worked out. And it begins with the phrase, the Lord reigns. God's kingdom is his working out of his sovereignty, of his rule, of his reign uh, in all places. And uh, we see this reflected also in the book of Daniel, where Daniel is taken away to Babylon, but he realizes that even though he's no longer in, in Jerusalem, he's no longer in Israel, he's no longer in Judah, he's no longer in God's, you know, God's um, physical land where God's people were promised. Yet, even though he's in Babylon, he still is under the kingdom of God. He still is a member of God's kingdom, meaning that God's rule and God's reign, God's kingship, God's sovereignty is still present in his life. And that's a really important um, for us to understand because the implications for us in this world are huge, that there's nowhere that we can go that is outside of God's kingdom. God's kingdom isn't you know, the, the country that we live in, the city that we live in. It definitely isn't our church building or our home. It's the, the kingdom of God is the concept that God is working out his sovereignty. Now, God's kingdom in his rule and in his reign are evidenced in scripture in several ways. And I just want to bring out two of them, which I think are very prominent uh, in the passages that we're going to come in contact with and are really, in my mind, the two big concepts of how God's kingdom is worked is working itself out. The first aspect that we see in scripture is that God's kingdom works itself out in God saving his people. And so therefore we see um, phrases in the New Testament that would equate salvation with the kingdom of God. And that's evidenced at the beginning of Jesus's testimony in Mark chapter one, where Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. God's kingdom is here. It's saving people. And you need to repent and recognize that God's sovereignty and God's rule is being worked out in that way. God is working out his kingdom by saving his people, calling them to repentance, redeeming them, and restoring them. The second aspect of God's kingdom that we see in the New Testament is that not only is there a kingdom that is working itself out and saving people here and now, but there is a kingdom to come. And in that kingdom to come, God's, God's rule, his reign, his kingdom will actually be a physical kingdom, not just a spiritual kingdom, but a physical kingdom. And at the end of time, one day God will conquer all sin and all sinners will be cast into hell. He will uh, create a new heaven and a new earth. The old heavens and the old earth will be passed away. And only those who are believers will occupy the new heavens and the new earth. Only believers are present. Only those who have aligned their hearts under the kingdom of God. And when that happens, God's kingdom will be present here on this earth. And so we can pray, Lord, let your kingdom come, but also recognize that uh, God's kingdom, as in Luke 17, is here in the midst of us with God's rule and God's reign being worked out. You can summarize it this way. In a spiritual sense, the kingdom of God is here and is active in the sense that God is calling people to himself, working out his control, working out his sovereignty by saving, redeeming, restoring. But in another sense, the full sense of the kingdom is yet to come in that wonderful day when God will conquer sin and will uh, recreate the new heavens and the new earth 
And in that moment, he will reconcile all things to himself. And, and what a day that will be. We look forward to the full sense of God's kingdom yet to come in the future. God has promised that the work that he has begun in us, it will be completed on the day of Jesus Christ. What a promise that is to be a part of his kingdom and yet look forward to his kingdom as well.